you to open up to Luke chapter 8. Um, we've been in the middle of a series on Wednesday nights called, uh, I titled it, Encounters with Jesus. And um, this really works perfectly. I did not have to jettison from that series or try to make this fit. Um, basically, all semester long, we've been looking at people who are meeting Jesus. And when people encounter and meet Jesus, um, things happen and people change uh, radically. And so the story tonight is no different. Uh, I will tell you it has a unique twist because Jesus is he's encountering someone who is possessed by demons and he's casting out demons. Uh, we could spend several weeks on the theology of the spiritual realm and Satan and his demons. We're not going to do that uh, tonight. So my focus is not going to be on that. I want to give you a much bigger, kind of more immediately applicable picture uh, tonight. Uh, and I'll start by, by saying this, if, if being on mission for God or carrying out his mission, which is really just a fancy way of saying simply and practically being faithful in your context to speak truth, to be a representative, to be an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's all that means when you hear, I'm on mission, what does that mean? So to be on mission, um, if being on mission is something to you that feels hard, or impossible, uh, or perhaps if you're really being honest, just like a burden, something you feel obligated to do but really don't want to do, um, I have prayed for you, and I really think the Holy Spirit has an encouraging word for you uh, in, in Luke's gospel tonight. So I'm going to read this story. It's fascinating and weird, and it's one that PETA would hate. Um, not Hunger Games PETA, like the organization that's crazy about animals. Which, true story, I just saw this. I went home for lunch today. I was watching the news. PETA is, have you all seen the, the selfie of that monkey? Has anyone seen that floating around the internet? This, this photographer, I think in Canada or something, a, a, a monkey got a hold of his phone and took a selfie of himself. And so the dude posted it everywhere and he's been making all this money. And PETA is suing him, saying that all the money should go to the monkey. Dead serious, true story. Has zero to do with my sermon tonight, but I really wanted to tell you that. So... Luke chapter 8, I'm going to start in verse 26, I'm going to end in verse 39. If you don't have a copy, um, please listen. I'm telling you, it's a fascinating story. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. I'm just going to assume one of those pigs was Chris P. Bacon, okay? Just not a coincidence that that happened tonight, okay? When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. 
Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told him how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with them, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Let's pray and ask God to help us make sense of that. Father, these are your words. Uh, These are not fairy tales. Um, they're not life lessons. Uh, these are, this is the breath of you, the living, creating, holy God. Honestly, what more is there important to, to, to even look at on a Wednesday night than the God who spoke this world into existence? We get to peer into your mind and heart. There's, there's nothing more important. But Lord, we recognize we can't do it on our own. We need your Holy Spirit to help us. We need your Holy Spirit to make these way more than just words. We need this to be way more than just a story, a narrative, a good pick-me-up-for-the-week. We need this to get into our bones. We need this to change our, our hearts and change our lives. And so we beg for your Holy Spirit. Lord, will you start with me? Lord, and then will you, will you do that for this room? We ask it only in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So we're smack dab in the middle of campaign season here in the U.S. How, is anyone keeping up with it? Like you watch the debates and you're like, oh, yeah, Trump, Carson, ah, yeah, Hillary. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So being in the middle of that, uh, it reminded me of something in high school. I had a lot of good friends who went to a local uh, private Christian school And as a part of a government project one day, um, they were basically forced to campaign for a candidate that they had never met, they knew nothing about, and quite frankly, could not care any less about the election itself, and certainly the candidate. Again, it was part of some government project, and like, if you don't go and wear this shirt and stand on the side of the road with a sign, like, you know, we're going to fail you in the class. So all my friends, as a part of this class and this project, they had to go and campaign for someone they had never met, someone they didn't know anything about, but they're out there going, okay, yay, vote for him. Well, I mean, needless to say, their endorsement of this candidate was, was hardly genuine, Uh, It wasn't very passionate. It wasn't very heartfelt. Even though they had to go door to door, they had to stand on the side of the road beside the school with the signs, they had to wear the shirts. Well, why is that? I mean, why were they kind of half-heartedly going, yay, let's, we sure hope he takes office. Well, it's because of this. They didn't, they didn't know him. I mean, they didn't know his stance on this issue and on that issue. There had never been any kind of a personal encounter whatsoever that would have motivated and fueled them to really get out there and get his message and get his heart out to the populace. They had never encountered them, and so honestly, they really could care less. Well, what I want to propose to you tonight in the context of this being a, a missional you know, week at Grace of Anne is this. When it comes to being on mission for God, 
or evangelizing or speaking the truth. When it comes to that, when it comes to, to this, this mandate that we've been given, this command to, to work towards the advancement of the kingdom and, and proclaim things for the glory of God, many of you, I think, are like my friends standing on the side of a road twirling around some sign that says, uh, vote for Jesus, but never really encountering personally yourself this Savior. And so, of course, your endorsement of him is going to be half-hearted. Of course, when you're told, hey, this is exciting, and this guy's going to change the landscape of the country and the world, of course you're going to go, oh, yeah, gosh, when are we done with our shift? You know, vote for Jesus. You know, uh, it's, it's important that we understand something about what God calls us to do post-salvation. On this side of salvation, it's important that we understand without a proper foundation, the walls of mission and evangelism and truth speaking and going, they're going to be super lopsided. And at the first sight... At the first sight of fear or rejection or an awkward conversation, it's just absolutely going to topple over. The whole house is going to come falling down. But what I also would propose is this, not so of the person who has met and been changed by personal engagement with Jesus Christ. So the big thing I want you to get tonight out of our text is this. Again, it's, this is not a theology of uh, de- demonic activity. This is not a theology of, wow, why does Jesus hate bacon so much? This is, I want to look at why do we hesitate in going and speaking. And so the big thing I want you to get is this. Those who personally encounter Jesus not only leave changed, but you leave with a story to tell. If you have truly met Jesus, not just if you like Jesus, not just if someone else that you're close to has had a personal encounter with Jesus, but if you have engaged with and have met Jesus, you don't only change, but you leave with a story, one that you're burning to tell. So let's hop right in. I got three things for you. The first thing I want you to see is we see a man in desperate need. Look at our text. I mean, look there in verse 27. Jesus, he steps out of a boat. There meets him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house but among the tombs. So he sees Jesus and he cries out, Hey, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Look, it even says that um, for many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. This dude is messed up. Okay, at first glance, you might just assume, like, he's an Ole Miss fan. But um, upon further investigation, it seems to be worse than that, which is shocking, but it's true. But, I mean, this guy is in desperate need. Uh, One church historian describes him this way. This is kind of a commentary about the guy. He says, in great misery and nakedness, he wandered among the graves of the dead. He was in utter wretchedness, leading a disgraceful life. Deprived of every blessing, destitute of all sobriety, and entirely deprived even of reason. Uh, sin had absolutely ravaged this guy. I mean, he's, he's naked, he's completely exposed. 
Um, he's angry. He's violent. He's lonely. He's totally isolated from, from relationship. He's insane. He's confused. He's covered in shame. He's utterly lost. It even says that he's walking like a zombie in a graveyard. He's walking. He's living among the dead. And here's what's shocking about all of those adjectives. Before personally encountering the healing work of Christ, this is the exact condition that you and I are in. I mean that. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. You're going, okay, that's like such a stretch. It's not even funny. Like, sure, we look better. We wear it better. We smell better and dress better. And we, and we kind of put on this veneer of we're informed, we're educated, we're sanitized, we're free-thinking people. We wear that garb a little bit better than this guy. But apart from Christ, sin ravages us. And internally, we look exactly like this guy. Now, y'all are visual thinkers. This is a visual generation. Surely, as I'm reading this story, you picture, you have some picture of someone, you know, just crazy. Who is this crazy, naked dude who's busting out of chains, lives in a tomb, is just nuts? I want you to take that picture, and I want you to transfer that, and I want you to, I want you to, to imagine this. That's, that's, that's who you are on the inside apart from Christ. Now, that's shocking, isn't it? Don't let his outward appearance fool you. You're going, he was in chains. He was in shackles. I'm not. I'm living free. Well, guys, if you're not in Christ Jesus, he tells you. He tells you in John chapter 8, verse 34, this, that you're not quite as free as you think you are. Perhaps you're out there and you're deceiving your parents. Woo, I'm free. They try, to, they try to put me down. You know, they try to put a lid on who I am and how I can express myself. And I've got them beat. I'm free. Man, I'm out there. I know I'm in an unhealthy relationship, but we haven't been busted yet. And, and it feels good. Nothing's happened. My house hasn't blown over yet. I'm free. Or, man, I'm just thinking... This whole biblical worldview thing that my parents have tried to get me to buy into, I think it might be a load of crap, and I want to be a free thinker. And yet Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 34 says this, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, that's a strange picture. I mean, we're affluent, educated, 38139ers, right? That's a strange picture to call us slaves. And yet, this is what God's Word says, the truth beneath the garb of freedom that we celebrate, we're slaves apart from Christ. You know, one of the great weapons that the enemy uses against people is to try to convince us that we're not that bad. That's one of his best assaults on us. You know what? You're not that bad. This guy obviously has some problems, okay? He's like foaming at the mouth and, and straight up barking at people naked and busting out of chains. He's got some issues. Me, my issues are okay. They're normal. They're internal. They don't affect anyone else. You know, I talk often in here about carbon monoxide sins uh, versus f uh, forest fire sins. 
You know, think of the think of the bad people in your class. You know, think of the bad people at your school that you hear about, or that guy or that girl from other schools. Those are the forest fire sins. You know, it's just the the Bible Belt cultural stuff. That's the drinking. That's the the drugs. That's the sleeping around. Like those are forest fire sins. You know, whoa, I can see that. It's so bad. Carbon monoxide sins. Those are the things that we're okay with. Eh, to be greedy. You know, whatever. To be prideful, you know, hey, whatever. To lust. I mean, I'm just, it's in here. You know, I'm keeping it internal. A forest fire, we know that's bad. It's big, it's visible, you can see it. Carbon monoxide, it has no odor. You can't see it, can't feel it. It comes in, but what does it do? It kills, just as if you were in the middle of a forest fire. You know, most of you in the room, to be honest, and, and this is a, 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 you know, I think a, a, sweet part of ministering to to students most of you just haven't had the opportunity yet to set blaze to the forest you you just haven't had it yet i mean you've got parents who have rules and you haven't been out in the real world and on your own yet but the roots are there and i think you know it i think when the lights go off you feel it or i think for the millisecond that your mind isn't cluttered you know with your phone i think you know who you who you really are I think you know that the roots are there. You know the carbon monoxide is seeping through the walls. This guy is in desperate condition, and he's in dire need of healing. And here's my point. Guys, he is us, apart from a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. So he's in bad shape. So are we. Um, So what happens? We have a man that's in desperate need, but... We have a man who met Jesus. This is what happens. Verse 33. The demons came out of the man, entered the pigs. The herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Just a side note. Isn't that interesting? When, when Jesus takes someone and he radically changes them, people start talking. Because it's, it's noticeable what happened. When Jesus changes things, things change. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man. This is the crazy dude. We've heard all the rumors about this crazy dude who lives in the graveyard. And he's sitting calmly at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. It says they were afraid. In God's kindness, this man meets Jesus. How? There was a genuine interaction with the Savior. There was, a, there was a conversation. That's what coming to Jesus looks like. Not physically. I doubt anyone in this room has physically encountered Jesus and talked to him. But it's a conversation. It's a, it's a listening. It's a talking. It's an admitting. You know, many people make the mistake of thinking that they've had a personal encounter with Jesus because their mom has had a personal encounter with Jesus. You know, it's like people, it's like your, your friends who brag about like, oh yeah, like me and Taylor Swift, like we're, we're pretty tight. Oh really? How so? Um, the person who cuts my hair, like uh, she had an aunt who happened to buy one of Taylor's kitties off Craigslist. And so basically like we know each other really well. You know, it's like you, you're trying to rely upon their relationship to somehow get your way there. And I think people think that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had a personal uh, encounter with Jesus because my mom has, because my youth leader has. And, and we're close, and he has, so I think I'm in through him. 
Or I kind of like Jesus. The things that I've heard about him are cool. I'm cool with standing on the side of the road with the boat Jesus sign. And yet that is very far from a personal encounter with Jesus. This sick, desperate man meets Jesus and things change when we meet Jesus. And again, as you'll see, when, when Jesus changes people, people take note. In verse 34, it talks about how when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city. We see a story developing, don't we? We see something radical happen, and we see people absolutely feel the burden to go and talk about it. We see people feel the burden to go. Uh, I had a friend who was in politics, really still is. He lives in Nashville. Some of you know his name's Adam Nickus. Uh, he was an intern, good grief, like 10 years ago, uh, back in, back in the, the junior high glory days when I ruled with an iron fist. Um, he was the opposite of my friends who didn't know a candidate, and so they kind of half-heartedly were like, yay, vote for John Smith. Uh, Adam was always really behind the scenes, and he always knew the candidates he worked with very well. He was like different people's campaign managers and stuff. And you could tell, because he knew them really well, he was super passionate about them. I mean, on his Facebook and, and, and in conversation, he was just oozing. Anytime you would meet him, I'm like, bro, shut up about the politics. I just want to have a Starbucks with you. It's like, dude, I got to tell you. Let me tell you what Phil's up to. I'm telling you, he's so passionate. He's going to get in there. He's going to change the system. He was a guy who met the candidate, and he, knew, he was invested. This is the same thing. We have a man who encountered Jesus, and so he was passionate. He knew he was invested, and so it was just in him to go and to talk about it. Custom fit for our text tonight is a, uh, an old theologian. He's been dead a long time, J.C. Ryle. He says this. If you hear nothing else tonight, I want you to listen to this. This is an unbelievable illustration of what happens in conversion, what the gospel is. Listen, he says, never is a man in his right mind until he is converted or in his right place until he sits by faith at the feet of Jesus or rightly clothed till he has put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Real conversion is nothing else but the miraculous release of a captive, the miraculous restoration of a man to his right mind, the miraculous deliverance of a soul from the devil. Guys, that is the gospel. When we were once naked before God in our guilt and in our shame, and then we meet Jesus, and then we get his clothes what Isaiah 61 10 says I will rejoice greatly in the Lord my soul will exult in my God why for he has clothed me with garments of salvation he has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness do you get that exchange we're naked and exposed and ugly and guilty I mean we are absolutely guilty before a holy judge and he gives us his robe. He trades his robes of righteousness and gives them to us. And he is naked and exposed on a cross on our behalf. Can you get that exchange? We were once captive. We were once slaves to our flesh, to the enemy. Paul in Romans chapter 6 tells us this. Having been set free from sin and now becoming slaves to righteousness. Coming to Christ is not bondage. It's not, uh, 
rules. Coming to Christ is being set free. Where Satan once owned our thoughts and our desires and our passions, a beautiful Savior now does. Our minds are restored. We see things rightly now. It's like some of you have terrible eyesight like me. If you don't have contacts in or glasses, the world is distorted. You can't make out things how they're supposed to be made out. And upon coming to Christ, you actually see the way that things are supposed to be seen. As a result of meeting Jesus and clearly being changed by Jesus, we last see this. Give me five minutes, Mom. I'll be done. We see this, a man with a story. A man with a story. So what does he do? What does this guy do? I mean, his natural inclination is going, snap! I was an insane person, and now I'm not. Uh, I want to come with you. Like, I want some more of this stuff that you've got. I want to I follow you. Literally, I want to follow you. And that seems logical, but what does Jesus say? I'm telling you, if you get this, it's the stinking backbone of all missions. What does Jesus say? Come with me. I need more help. He says, hold on, hold on, hold on. You can't come with me. Return to your home. Why? And declare how much God has done for you. Isn't this amazing? You have a guy who, I mean, hours before was out of his freaking mind, and now he's a missionary. He wasn't seminary trained. He didn't have this well-honed theology of, okay, now I can go be a missionary. He had just encountered Jesus personally. And so he had all the equipment he needed to go and share his story. Guys, this is how God is designed for the gospel to be reached. And uh, this is how he wants your friends, your school, your culture, the nations to be reached. It's a pretty simple formula. Take someone who's sick, let them meet and experience firsthand the healing power of Jesus, the rescuing transformation uh, of grace, observe a noticeable difference in their life, and then set them free to go and talk about it. It doesn't take seminary. It doesn't take knowing Greek. It doesn't take knowing Hebrew. It takes meeting Jesus, being changed, and then going and telling your story. Doesn't that sound more natural, more loving, more genuinely motivated than uh, go campaign for a candidate you don't know, you're not confident in, and really is not even real to you? So what do you do when something spectacular happens to you? I'm wrapping it up now. Are we Grizzlies fans, some of us? Hopefully all of us, okay, the converted ones, yes. Okay, what do you do? I mean, literally, what do you do if Zach Randolph calls you and he comes and he picks you up and you guys go to the Olive Garden for the, for the endless breadsticks and salad, of course, and you swing by Shelby Farms and you Eno for a while there and then you go back to his home theater and you watch Netflix. What do you do? You know what you're doing. You're on your phone sharing that business, you know? I mean, that's just what we do. When something amazing happens to us, we pick up the phone and we share that story with as many people as we can. It's just in our DNA to share what's really special to us. When something fantastic happens, whether it's an amazing trip, whether it's an awesome conversation, whether we finally didn't get rejected for that date, whatever it is, it's just in our DNA to go and talk about it. One last thing I'll close with. There was a story a few years ago. Uh, an ophthalmologist, an eye doctor, 
Uh, he was fresh out of school, had a ton of student loans. He had no money. He was in a new city. He had no friends, no clients, you know, no patients. And he's getting discouraged, going, good grief. Like, how am I going to make it? So anyway, he's in a store one day. He meets a guy who's blind. And he asks the guy, are you interested in seeing if we can do something about that? He said, well, sure. Brings him to the office. They end up doing a consultation. It works out. He does surgery on the guy. Literally, he makes this guy who was blind go and see. So after the surgery, the recovery, literally this guy has eyesight for the first time ever. And he goes to the doctor and he says, I feel terrible. He goes, I have no money to pay you. Like, I have nothing to give you. He goes, no, no, yeah, you do. And, and I expect payment and you're going to pay me. He's going, no, 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 really I don't. He goes, no, this is what you do. When you meet people, tell them that you were once blind. That's it. And then tell them who fixed you. And the guy's business just boomed, obviously. That's missions. Okay? It's not a seminary education. It's not going to five different conferences to learn. Oh, what do I do? That. It's going, hey, I was once blind, and there's a, man, there's a lot of things I don't even know yet. There's a lot of questions I still have, but here's what I know. I see, and let me tell you about the guy who did surgery. People who have an incredible story long to tell it. So my question to you is this, do you have one? Well, then why aren't we telling it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word because it is what gives us hope. It's what ultimately directs our paths. And without it, we are ultimately desperate and lost. Lord, I pray that your spirit in a very real way, even tonight, even on the way home, Lord, would show people that they are not so far away from this man who is in chains and foams at the mouth and seems crazy. We're wealthy. We got stuff. We look okay on the outside, but Lord, the inside does not look good. Would your spirit burst through and not just leave us there where we see the badness, but show us this healer, show us this savior, this rescuer. Lord, we want to be on mission for you, not because we kind of know you or, oh, we just have to do missions. We want to be on mission for you because we're absolutely enthralled that you would choose us, that you would look at us, see who we really are, and say, you are loved. Now go tell the world. Father, will you burn that into our hearts, burn it into our minds? Thank you. We love you and ask these things only in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.